All good? Feeling happy that the All Blacks won? Yeah, well, it's a bit scary for a while there, but that's all good. I encourage you to take out your notes. It would be great if you could pull out your notes. The reason why we have notes in this church is that US Air Force once did a study, and it showed that if you don't write something down, you will forget 95% of what you hear within 72 hours. That's a US Air Force day. So, you, like, when you go to university, do you show up and not take any notes? No. Or you show up to school? No. So I highly encourage you, one of your steps in discipleship is to take these notes, use them as a basis, because one day God will use you to teach some of these principles. Or you may have a friend who needs some of these principles, and you'll know where to go. Okay. There are many books. Young people, listen very carefully. That will try and tell you that all you need to succeed in life is two things, desire and determination. They'll try and tell you that. And that is partially true. Of course you need desire. Of course you need determination. But you need more than that. Think about the girls playing netball. They can have desire and they can have determination. But what they need most is skill. Skill. You need tools in life and skills to succeed. Just desire, just determination, you're not going to get there. Especially if you're a shooter. You need to pop that basket. So, this is what the Bible says, and we forget that as Christians. It's one of my life verses. Ecclesiastes 10.10. It says, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is required. Now, it's been chilly lately. And some of you have been trying to chop wood, like I have been. You try and chop wood with a dull axe, and oh, you may get there, but my goodness, you're sweating at the end of it. You have a sharp axe, watching, split instantly. It straightens up. It says, but skill will bring success. So that verse is saying what we in management have been preaching for a long time. Actually, we stole from the Bible. We stole this from the Bible. What we say is work smarter, not harder. That's where it comes from, right there. Work smarter, not harder. Now, it is really smart. You guys are the smart people. You come to church. Really smart. And you're sharpening your axe when you come to church because you're learning biblical skills that will help you succeed in the dream and the plan God has for your life. And when you're in a small group, when you, whether you take a class, one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, four-on-one, or whether you're in youth, you are never wasting your time when you're sharpening your axe. When you're adding to your skills. And the Bible says why? Skill will bring success. And one of the skills that you need in life, this is not necessarily the most important, but it's one of a key list that I want to share with you, which will make or break you. Determine your altitude in life and what you achieve. A key one. Grandparents, listen up and make sure you're Deploy this to your grandchildren and your children. 
Teachers, listen up. This is really important. One of the skills that you're going to need to learn to deal with in life is dealing with negative people. Negative people that come into your life. The naysayers that say, nah, you can't do it. I had plenty of those in my life. First one was my teacher who told me to my face, you'll be lucky if you ever get a job as a trash collector. Lucky. What's a naysayer? I like the Webster's Dictionary. A naysayer is a person who says something won't work or isn't possible. A cynic who habitually expresses pessimistic views. Now, how many of you have ever met a naysayer? So you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. When you raised your hands, I saw some of you looking sideways. (laughs) When people said, we're going to go to the moon, there were many millions of people said, that can't be done. When Moses crossed the desert and he was going to take people into the promised land, they were saying, we're going to starve to death here, Moses. We can't do this. And then, we're running out of water, Moses. We're going to die of thirst. We're not going to make it. Now, naysayers, I just want to point something out, are not necessarily bad people. They're just flat out mistaken. Sometimes they may even love you. They may even be in your own family. They may want what's best for you, but they haven't been given that thought or that dream that God has put in your heart. And for every person that goes after a dream or something that God has put there, and you know it's there, there are nine who are too afraid. Let me put it right out there. Fear. Fear is a main impediment here. And they let problems stand in the way. Too many people feel that what God has given them, put in their heart, is impossible. And it's like giant problems are standing in their way. How do you face opposition? Parents. Young people. How do you face problems and negativity that opposes you? This is one of the first skills you have to learn as a leader. How to not let negativity get you down. Now fortunately, there's a great story in the Bible that explains how to face enormous opposition. It's a story of David and Goliath. Now, the story of David and Goliath, if you have your scriptures in the Bible, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm just going to read a little bit there. It's not on the screen. It says this. The story of David and Goliath is found there. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces of war, and they occupied one hill, and the Israelites another with a valley between them. And the champion named Goliath from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. He was a giant of a man over nine feet tall. Have you got that uh, there, Chris? Is that the next one or is that not? That PowerPoint's not on there. 
If you go have a look at the guy, Robert, uh, Robert Hadlow, you look at the Guinness Book of Records, he's 8 foot 11 inches tall. There he is there. Didn't make me feel too bad about being short. <laughs> 8 feet 11 inches. Anyway, champion named Goliath, that's how big he is. Um, he was a giant of a man, the Bible says, over nine feet tall. So, you know, another inch or two bigger than this joker. He was wearing a huge bronze helmet and a coat of bronze armor that weighed 125 pounds, which is about 56 kilograms. So, you know, slap a decent piece of, you know, bag of concrete on your back. And he also wore bronze leggings and slung a huge bronze javelin over his back. The iron spearhead alone, the tip, the tip of the spearhead weighed 15 pounds or nearly 7 kilograms. Just the tip of it. A soldier with a large shield always walked in front of Goliath. Amazing name. Now here's the interesting part though. The interesting part which I want to focus on today is long before David had to face this guy Goliath, he had to face four other kinds of giants, all of them naysayers in his life. And the background was, one chapter earlier, God told the prophet Samuel to go to Bethlehem and find the next king of Israel from this family of Jesse. And one by one, Jesse brings his sons in. Number one, big, tall, handsome, the oldest, which is normally the one that was preferred to be the, the nominee. But no, that's not the one he says, and he goes to them all, two, number three, no, number four, no, five, six, seven. And he says, not this guy. Is this all you've got? And the father thinks, I mean, the father thinks for a while. And he goes, hmm, no, I didn't get the young guy. He's out the back, though. He's just tending a few scrawny sheep. We didn't say scrawny, but a few sheep down there. And so eventually he brings him in, as you know, and Samuel anoints this guy, the youngest, the smallest, the most immature. And he says, he's, that's him. But remember, God never looks on the outside. Remember that. Girls, when you're looking for a husband. Not on the outside. God looks on the inside. So, what I'm going to look at today is this. He had to face four other giant barriers. The naysayers, people who didn't believe in his ability, David's ability. Didn't believe in David's competence. Didn't believe that God is working in his life. And that's what I want to look at. Not David and Goliath, but what David and the courage he had to show to face the four naysayers before he even met Goliath. So four say, uh, t- take your pen out. Four naysayers that David faced before Goliath from 1 Samuel 17. The first naysayer that David had was his dad. His dad. His dad held him back. Verse 12. Now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. Imagine that. Three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army. But David was held back to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. Circle held back. Now the first barrier to to the dream that God's given you, to accomplishing what God has got in your life, is when somebody holds you back. And somebody... Some of you, because of your age, have been held back. You're too old. You're too young. You're a girl. You're a guy. Your education. 
your looks. Everybody has faced that. And sometimes by those who love you, maybe a parent or a friend. And others who have their dream for your life. And David's dad wanted him to look after the sheep. So the first barrier to your moving forward in the dream that God has for you, you can mark this, I guarantee you can take it to the bank, is a word, and I haven't put it in your notes, but out the side, just write delay. There will be a delay. There's always a time gap. When God gives you a plan and a dream, not one instance in scripture can I find when it's fulfilled instantly. There's always a time gap, so get prepared. Sometimes it can be 40 years. So God, when God is, God is getting that intervening time period, God is getting you ready whilst he's getting the plan ready. And there's a waiting period. In David's case, his dad didn't think David was old enough or experienced enough to even be considered for this role of king of Israel or to leave his job as a shepherd and become a king. But then David's dad... There's a change of heart in one sense and he releases David to go and deliver a little care package to his brothers, older brothers, on the front line of the battle. And whilst he's there, he hears about this guy called Goliath. And he also observes how frightened everybody was. So the second naysayer that David had to face before he became king, before that dream happened, was discouragement discouragement of conventional wisdom. In other words, number two, everybody else was afraid. And the prevailing view in the country was that Goliath, for obvious reasons, huge, was unbeatable. He was undefeatable. It's like, you know, imagine if you're UFC and you meet that guy, nine foot tall, holy mackerel, he's got a reach on him. That's a problem. So Goliath had created a culture of fear. And people were discouraged. And because they said, they've got this giant of a guy, and who have we got? That's probably what the South Africans are thinking right now. The second barrier to your success will likely be discouragement. So after a delay, you often run into this discouraging period where you are flat out discouraged. And this can come from many places. Verse 8. Each day, circle that, each day, Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks of Israel's army. Why do you come out here and line up for battle? Choose for you one man to fight me, and if he's able to kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. Again, notice the... Notice the, uh, the Timeliness of this. Day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, This day I defy the ranks. The ranks. There's that word again of Israel. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. So this guy, because of his daily repetition of negativity and decrying and lambasting had created an atmosphere of demoralized fear and everyone they were gripped with anxiety they were traumatized these people they felt hopeless in fact the cv version says they were so frightened they couldn't do a thing now not so long ago i remember 
atmospheres like that in some companies I've worked for, where everybody's afraid in the office, scared, scared of somebody, scared of trying some new ideas, and the adage is, what can we do? Now, I want to tell you something here. When it regards to David and it comes to you and it comes especially to God, conventional wisdom is often wrong. Public opinion is often wrong. And the majority doesn't make something right. The majority is often wrong. And the classic example of that is when Moses, when God has been promised to him, the promised land, he sends 12 spies to suss it out. Good move. Nothing wrong with that. But the trouble is, 10 of them come back with what the Bible calls a negative report. Yeah, it's cool. It's all good. The land's there, but, and it's this but, and it's a big but. There were giants in the land. There's all these problems. Now, what those guys should have done is said, shut up about the problems. It's not about how big the problems are. It's about how big our God is. That is the correct question to ask. So negativity spreads, though. And they ended up, because of that negativity and lack and, and fear, wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. My point is simply this. The majority were flat wrong. Only two came back with positive report. And the, I love what the Bible says about these two. They were men of a different spirit. That means a different attitude. They weren't looking at all the, oh boy, it's going to be hard. There's going to be, this is real. Swords, there's going to be a lot of blood, it's going to be hard. But they said, we can do this. With God's help, we can do this. Circle ranks in that verse. I want to point out something out here. Often solutions come outside of the rank and file. They've been worn down by the situation. They can't see clearly. In this case, in walks a kid who doesn't even know this can't be done. Ever had anybody like that in your office? Some new joker comes in, got a fresh set of eyes, says, yeah, we can do this. Boom, 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 and it's done. What's been a roadblock for three years is undone. Why have everybody given up? I'll tell you why, because they were listening to the wrong voice. They were listening to this negative lambaster from across there. Question, are you listening to the wrong voice? The Bible says here in verse 16, for 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant loudly berated the Israeli army. Excuse me, the Israelite army. And again, the question is, who are you listening to to say what God has put in your heart can't be done? Observation? If you listen to negativity long enough, you start to get negative. It's contagious negativity. Sometimes you need a fresh pair of faithful eyes to come in and pray with you and help you move forward. So David shows up. He hasn't been infected by this constant lambasting day and night, day and night by negativity. And he says, hey, you guys, with God's help, we can do this. Verse 23. As David talked with his brothers on the front line, he saw Goliath starting, start shouting his usual threats to Israel's army. And when the army heard Goliath, they all ran away with terror. A couple of bits of advice. Real blunt. Don't hang around with negative people. Let me put it a different way. Your best friends should not be naysayers. Number two. 
Don't hang out with fearful people. It's contagious again. So third, the third naysayer that David had to deal with, and this is a tough one, was his older brother. This is two within the family. His older brother questioned his motives. That's a tough one. And this is the barrier. We've had delay over here. We've had discouragement. And now we're having the third one of disapproval. Disapproval. Especially from people that you love. From people that you love. And it hurts the most. Everybody wants to be liked. But you'll always have naysayers, critics who don't like your dream. Verse 28. David asked, what is the reward for killing this Philistine and ending this disgraceful abuse? When David's older brother heard this, he burned with anger and said, Why are you even here anyway? Why aren't you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep, you cocky little brat? Can anybody hear the sibling rivalry going on here? (laughs) I know how conceited you are. Now what have I done? Said David. (laughs) Can't I even ask a question? You can see when he says, now what have I done? That implies that previously this has been going on for a while. This has been a family spat. Here are the family dynamics. He treats David here with disdain, disgust, and disregard. And he just belittles him. And the fact is, sometimes even family members don't want that dream to succeed that God has given you. And sometimes people can often misinterpret confidence in God as conceit. David has great confidence in God. His older brother does not, because he's been listening to all the negativity. And then David says, hey, I'll take this guy on. And his old brother says to him, you are nuts. You're a conceited little brat. Who do you think you are? That is totally the wrong question. The right question is, who do we think God is? How big is our God? Not about us. We need to let the size of our God determine the size of the impact we can make. Stop right there and think about that. We need to remember to take the size of our God and think, God, wow, you are huge. My son's studying the universe at the moment. He says, Dad, that place is enormous. I said, yeah, guess who made that? He's big. So don't ever get too small size. We need to upsize God. And forget our myopic, small-minded thinking. We need to let the size of our God determine the size of our goal. What is your goal for God? Now, Another sidebar. When God gives you an idea that others are afraid to attempt, you will be misunderstood, you will be misjudged, and you will be maligned. And by the way, another quick sidebar. David found out what the reward was if he killed Goliath, which is a question he's asking in that verse. He had three rewards if he killed him. Number one was great wealth. Number two you got the king's daughter in marriage. Mm-hmm. And number three for us men, mm-hmm. never to pay taxes again in his life. Yes! Where do I sign up? <laughs> right? That's a great encouragement for the rest of your life. So you will have to deal, though, remember, with number one, delay, followed by discouragement, followed by disapproval. And the fourth one, fourth naysayer, David had to face 
were the experts. The experts doubted his ability. In your life, there will be people who are supposedly more qualified who will doubt your ability. And these naysayers created the fourth barrier, which was doubt in his own mind. And you start to ask a question, am I even up to this? Have I got what it takes? Are they right? David had, facts are, David had never served in a war. He had zero military training, and the only weapon he'd ever used is a slingshot. But please, 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 do not think of this as some little kitty poxy thing that you go, ping! I've read the physics around this. Current estimations by serious physicists show that that stopping power of that slingshot that they used back then, and they've proved it today, has got somewhere between the stopping power of somewhere between a 9mm and a 45. It'll stop you dead. This is no sissy slingshot. Saul hears about David and sends him, verse 32, hey, I love, I love the confidence. Don't worry about the thing, David told the king. I'll fight these Philistine, this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you, brackets, a shepherd boy, can go against this Philistine, a giant. You're only, only, you are only a boy. And he's been a professional warrior all of his life. Basically, the king said, hey, mate, nice thought, but you're inexperienced. You should leave this to the pros, right? Now, when somebody says that, I want to remind you of something. The ark was built by amateurs. The Titanic was built by professionals. I love the word amateur. Amateur comes from the word amour or love. The amateur does it for love. In this case, it was the love of God. By the way, how did David learn about Goliath since he was first held back? He was willing to serve in small ways first. Verse 17 on the screen says this. David's father said, take this bread to your brothers on the front line and this cheese to their commander. That's how he got his opportunity. Here's the principle. Before you face the Goliath, God may have you serve cheese and crackers. That's exactly what happened here. Are you willing to do that? Or is that beneath you? God looks for people who are willing to do the little things. Are you willing to do the little things that nobody else sees that shows your faithfulness to God? I will tell you this, that an act of servanthood just like that can often put you in the right place at the right time. I'm going to use that. So, let's wrap this up. How do you handle the naysayers in your life? You do the four same things that David did. And this is a great skill of leadership. Whether it's a parent or a brother or a crowd or the experts that are dissing you. Whether it's delay or doubt or discouragement or disappointment or disapproval or whatever. Here's the first thing to remember the naysayers of life. Number one, please remember they are not God. They may be good people. They may even love you. They may be great people. 
But they are not God. And therefore, don't treat their opinion like God. Remember they're not. The people that are negative in your life. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear... The fear of human opinion disables. But, another side of this, trusting in God protects you from that. Some of you here today, may I say respectfully, are disabled, but you don't know it. Your disability is, you are addicted to, to the approval of other people. The, today's English version says it is dangerous to be concerned about what other people think of you. What really matters is not what other people think about you, but what God thinks about you. You'll get sidetracked from God's purpose in your life if you're loving, uh, living for somebody else's plan. Now this next verse in Isaiah verse 8, Isaiah 8, 13, you've all got that in your outlines and on the screen? Isaiah 8, let's read this verse aloud with great enthusiasm. Let's read it. Do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is the Holy One. If you fear him, you... So the starting point, if you want to be a, a godly leader... You've got to get a big vision of God because, number one, that'll shrink the problems. The bigger God is, the smaller the opinions of others matters. The smaller God is, the more effect the opinions of others will affect you. See, if I'm concerned about his opinion, I don't have to worry about anybody else's. Now, question... Who am I allowing to play God in my life? That is a very important question. Don't run over that. Who has got such a big footprint that they are effectively controlling my life? There's a biblical word for that, and we don't use it very often. It's called idolatry. Anything that comes between you and God is an idol. And it may be somebody's opinion that's ruling like an iron rod. And it's preventing you from doing what you know God's called you to do. Oh, these people may be good, but again, let me make the clear distinction. Good is not God. Number two, David did this, and you've got to do it if you're going to be a leader and get on with it, with God's plan for your life. And it's this, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Well, the people who say it can't be done, or you're the wrong guy, or you don't have the goods. That's what they told David. You're the wrong woman. Probably one of the best illustrations I know of this of an incredibly inspiring story is of a businessman who had a very high-paying job in the government. His name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a dream of rebuilding a security wall around the city of Jerusalem. And let me tell you, he had opposition with a capital O. You may want to write this down somewhere. With every opportunity, there is opposition. There is. Don't be surprised by that. Even when God's planned it, the promised land, 
was promised by God. They were going to get it. But guess what? It was full of enemy that had to be subdued. It was not a lay down mazir, for those of you who play cards. Nehemiah's enemies tried everything to stop the rebuilding. They ridiculed him. Okay. There were rumors trying to subvert the king. Threats. And then they tried to slide out. Hey, let's have some meetings. Let's just talk about this. Yeah? Let's discuss it. Verse Nehemiah 6, 34, uh, 3, 34. So I replied. This is, what, this is how Nehemiah handled this, this attempt to slow him down by chatting, jibber-jabbering. So I sent a reply by sending a message to them. I'm doing a great work for God. I can't stop and come and meet with you. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. Notice how consistent and persistent the opposition was. There are plenty of naysayers who will want to waste your time arguing or delaying. Somebody once told me this. You can wrestle with a pig, a grease pig, but only one of you is going to enjoy it. Friends, you don't have to explain yourself to everybody. And the fact is, some of you here today can't stand to be misunderstood. And you feel duty-bound to explain everything. Can I just suggest to you, uh, uh, you're thinking things like, well, if I could just explain it, then they'll agree with me and get on with the program. Can I just say to you this, that sometimes misunderstanding won't be corrected. Some misunderstandings won't be corrected this side of heaven. Then the truth will be plain to everybody. Your motivations and your reasons. That's why in Matthew 10, Jesus said, don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open and everyone will know how things really are. Have the faith to wait for that day. That's what's only going to matter anyway. What matters is not what other people think of you. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of you. Third key. You realize they're not God. You don't get distracted. And number three, you never attack back. Leave it in God's hands. Don't be a smart aleck. Sarcastic. Tempted to retaliate. Couple of verses on this. Let's read this next one aloud. Proverbs eleven twelve. Let's read it together. It is foolish to speak of others. If you are smart, you will. Okay. Scornfully means speaking disrespectfully. It's not a word we use often. It means speaking. It's foolish. You're an idiot. The Bible says here. If you speak disrespectfully, don't do it. Even when sharing the gospel, never do it respectfully. God would say there are a lot of fools who speak mockingly. Be careful of speaking mockingly. That is not a godly characteristic. Mocking words never came out of Jesus' mouth. And disrespectfully. And if I, that verse says, if I enjoy dissing people, the Bible calls me there a fool. Don't enjoy dissing people. Some people get into negative humor, dissing people. The key is to respond like Jesus said in 1 Peter 2, 23. When they hurled insults at Jesus, and by the way, if they did it to him, guess what? Expect it. It's going to happen to you and me. He did not retaliate. So here we are. Hurl insults. What am I going to do? 
If you want to be like Jesus, you know, what would Jesus do? Here it is. He did not retaliate. When, uh, next thing, when he suffered, nobody likes to do that. He didn't say, oh man, I'm going to get you back. The Bible says he made no threats. Or just you wait till judgment day. He didn't say that. He could have. He didn't. But what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow! That is so countercultural. The key is, is to respond like Jesus. You may want to write this down to remind you. One sentence. Very helpful. I am most like Jesus when I stay silent under attack. Boy, that's hard for guys like me. And maybe like you too. I want to defend myself. Number four. Stay focused on God and his promises. Don't focus on the naysayers. Don't focus on the problem. Stay focused on God and his amazing promises. Learn to to let them give you strength and stability and stamina. Something that's sorely lacking today. Stamina. Stickability. Non-flakiness. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. This is a good illustration. Bitter people. You know when somebody's bitter? They go like, so I'll whip around there you know, in their tone. Bitter people spoke against David. This is later when he was the king. And talked of basically a rebellion. The Bible says he talked of stoning him. But David found strength in the television. Oh no, no, no. That's the reviled substandard perversion translation. Let's try this again. Bitter people spoke against Grant. Bitter people spoke against Adeline. But they found strength in the Lord. When somebody's being a naysayer, you don't go around gossiping about them to somebody else in the office. You and I need to find our strength in the Lord. And say, Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you have a plan for my life. I am going to trust you. Look at this last verse here. Proverbs 18.6. Excuse me. Let's try again. Psalm 118 verse 6. The Lord is for me. Number one. So I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Great question. Friends, you don't need anybody else's approval to be happy. You're as happy as you choose to be. You don't need your parents' approval, your brothers or your sisters or some friends. The Lord is for me. I am not going to be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They have the opinion. So what? All that really matters. Oh, sure, they got that, son, that opinion. But what matters ultimately is your opinion. That's the one I'm going to focus on. Psalm 119.41 says, show me how much you love me. In other words, you love me, Lord, so it doesn't matter if somebody else doesn't love me. And save me according to your promise. Then I can answer those who insult me because I trust in your word. One other verse which is really good to know that. Some, a few verses back in verse 11. David says, I have banked your promises in the vault 
of my heart. Your promises. Like give me the stability, stamina, and security. So instead of banking all the negative things naysayers have said about you, oh, you're done. Your best days are behind you. People have said those things. Instead of banking those in your mind, you need to focus on the promises of God in your heart and mind. What God says about you is what really matters, what anybody else says doesn't. Now David says, save me according to your promises. My question to you this morning is, have you been saved? What is the promise of God? The promise of God here is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. Rock solid, guaranteed for eternity. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? If you haven't, why don't you do that now? Let's bow our heads together and close. Why don't you pray in your heart, and I'll pray, and you can sort of follow me along in this. Just in your mind, you don't have to get every word, just say, me too, Lord. Just say, God, I realize that I can't save myself. I can't forgive my own sin. I can't even solve my own problem, so I need you to save me. And Jesus Christ, you came 2,016 odd years ago at Christmas. To be the saviour of the world. And as much as I know how, I say, Jesus, I ask you to be my saviour. Be the manager of my life. Call the shots. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to care more about what you think and say than what the naysayers think and say. Dear God, would you give me a vision, a purpose and a dream for my life which is so short. Help me make it count for you. Fill my life with love so that I don't react to all the naysayers and all the negativity around me. Make me a positive person with your love, Jesus Christ. Come into my heart today and save me, I pray. I humbly ask this as authentically as I know how in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Friends, today if You've given your hearts and you said, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour today. Would you let me know about that in the back of your communication card? And I would just, on that little card that you've got sitting in your seat, just check, I'm committing my life to Christ. And I'd love to send you a packet of information and spend some time. Thank you.